1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. I know we have been in the book of Ecclesiastes doing a study there. We'll get back to that at some point, I'm sure, soon. But I have a confession to make before I preach this message. Uh, two things, first of all. Um, it is a little bit of a setup for something that I would like to present to you after the service. But second of all, um, I heard this message preached last night. And I heard it preached at the revival there at Victory Baptist in Piedmont. And it was such a help to me, I do not plan to try to recreate the message the way I heard it preached last night by Brother Tom Bish. Um, but as I sat there and the Lord spoke to me and worked in me, I thought, my soul, I need, to, I need to get him to come and preach that for our church. And then I realized I couldn't do that. That would be the worst thing in the world to ask him to come tonight and preach here instead of finishing out the revival there. And so I began to pray, Lord, I, that was such a help to me should I preach it to the people. And I could not get my heart and mind off of it. So this is not my message, although I, I listened, Brother Charles and I have talked about this, I listened to a a message some years ago, I don't even remember why I pulled that message out of a group of many others on a website I was looking at for sermons where I think it was a, a, a conference or a revival out west at Brother Jack Treber's church at North Valley Baptist Church. And the whoever was preaching that evening said, I'm about to preach to you a message uh, that that... I heard, I can't remember who it was, maybe Jack Hiles preached, and he said, but don't worry, he said, Jack Hiles got it from, and he named another pastor, I don't know, preacher, I don't know if it was Tom Malone or who it was, and he said, don't worry, because that preacher got it from Charles Spurgeon, and you know, he went all on this trail all the way back to where the original message was preached and said, but uh, the truth of the Word of God is still true, so I'm going to preach it here this evening. So I guess it's almost that way tonight. Uh, but I thought a wonderful truth and maybe something that will be a little bit of a help for something that I'd like to, uh, to, to present to you afterwards. And so uh, I hope this will be a help to you personally as we get into it. So we're going to look at two passages here this evening, and we may do a little bit of back and forth uh, looking between the two of them. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll read here in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, and then we're going we're gonna, to uh, travel over to Revelation chapter number 2. And we'll read a few verses there. First Thessalonians chapter number 1 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. He says in verse number 2, we give thanks to God always for you all. And he says in verse number 3, remembering without ceasing these things. The church of Thessalonica was a great joy and a reason to rejoice for Paul. And then we get to the book of Revelation, and I want you to see this. If you would, please, Revelation chapter number 2, and let's read a few verses here in verse number 1. The Bible says in Revelation chapter number 2, 
and verse number 1, And unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored. I want you to notice that he brings those two things up a couple of times, patience and labor. Verse number four, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please speak to us this evening. Help your people as you helped me. Lord, I pray that you would wake up our spiritual lives in the ways that we all need. Holy Spirit, I yield this service to you and I beg you for your anointing touch and power on my words and on this service. I beg you please that you would guide my thoughts and my speech. I yield them to you. We pray these things as we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. Something very interesting takes place here in Revelation chapter 2 and in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. There are three words that are used in, this, in, in, uh, uh, in, in both passages concerning both churches. Both churches have the same words that are used about them. I want you to notice here that the three words that we saw in Revelation chapter number 2 and in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1 are works, labor, and patience. I want you to notice in verse number 2 of Revelation chapter number 2, the Bible says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Now, works would simply be deeds, things that we do for the Lord, such as visiting the bus route. Those are That would be a work that you do for the Lord. It was mentioned last night, uh, going to choir practice uh, and working on getting better as a choir so that you can then hopefully be a blessing uh, to others on Sunday morning and on top of that, be used of God hopefully to prepare hearts for what God would do in their lives. But that takes work, doesn't it? You come in on a weekly basis and you have to dedicate yourselves to that cause. And so weekly you come in and you work at choir practice. We've got two different choir practices going on right now. We've got Christmas concert practice and we've got regular choir practice for the everyday Sunday songs that are needed and are such a blessing. And so uh, it becomes a work. And let's be honest with ourselves, does it not become a work at some point? The piano players, you have to work at uh, the uh, the the uh, the songs for the specials, and you have to work at the songs for the choir, and so on. It is work. Uh, you know, not only uh, those types of things, but uh, the types of works that we do for one another. You, uh, I'm sure, many of you uh, try to pay attention to the needs of uh, your other fellow church members, and uh, you try to do things for them. That would be considered a work, and it's a good work. I'm thankful that we have a, a, very, uh, a very loving church. I believe we have a very sacrificial church. And I'm, I know many of you are always looking out for us and looking out for things for others and doing things for each other. And so those are 
works. Anything that keeps the ministry running and anything that keeps the services going, it requires work. I was talking to Brother David earlier today, and he is working constantly on things over there at the camp property and here at the church, and he is constantly being faithful to his work. Now, the church of Ephesus was doing works. Now, labor is a little bit different. Labor is essentially the effort you put into your work. So, labor is how hard you work at it. So, there's work and then there's labor. Labor is essentially the effort that you put forth in order to accomplish it. It takes labor in order to do just about everything that is worth anything in this life. Some people want to go and have a job, but they don't want to labor at it. And so, labor requires Stick-to-itiveness, is that a word? How many of you have ever heard the word stick-to-itiveness? You ever heard that before? My dad used to say, you've got to have stick-to-itiveness. I don't think I ever found it in the dictionary. But it was a word that he used. A lot of people want to work, but labor is a different story. I... I got a kick out of Brother Bish used an illustration last night, and I was thinking, you know, I need, I need to be able to preach this from my own heart. So I took what he preached, and I tried to preach it on my own, but I thought this was a great place to illustrate this. And I do not have the same story he does. Uh, obviously, I'm not him, and I wasn't there for that situation, and it's not going to help for me to try to repeat his story and find any humor in it. But I was thinking, how do you demonstrate labor? How do you illustrate that? And I got to thinking... I won't say who, it is not anybody in our church. But at one point I was watching a young man, <clears throat> maybe in our neighborhood, that, um, and we watch him on a rather regular basis, um, that has a task given to him to mow his yard. You can tell it is a task by the way he goes about it. The first time we ever really observed what was going on, um, one of my kids, I think, said, uh, this individual came out and started the mower up and did, I don't know, a few minutes of, of pushing the mower, and it is now sitting out there in the middle of the yard, and he has not been out there in a couple of hours. So I, out of curiosity, wanted to go look and see what was going on. So uh, I came over and checked uh, and, and looked at uh, uh, the, that specific location and noticed the same thing. There was a mower sitting in the middle of the yard without the job being done. And so then... Uh, somebody noticed, uh, uh, I don't know how much later, but a little while later, the individual came back out and started the mower up, did a few more moments of, if you want to call it labor, I don't know what you'd call it, but did a few more minutes of work, and then the mower sat there for a little while longer. And what should have probably ended up being about, I don't know, maybe about a 30-minute job, ended up being about a five- or six-hour job. And we got a kick out of how hard that became because there were all these breaks going on. Who knows exactly what was happening during all of those breaks. But, you know, uh, labor is the effort that it takes to get something done. People don't necessarily want to labor anymore. They just want to have a job that pays them. Well, when you talk about works and when you talk about labor, that is the distinction between the two. Does that make sense? So works are essentially the deeds that you're doing, the actions that you're doing, the job that you are doing. Labor is essentially the effort that you're putting into it. Now, the Bible says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. We understand and know what patience is. But I want you to notice something about these two churches. 
and about the Christians in them. You see, remember, the church is not just a building. The church is the people, right? The, the, the church is you. The church is me. And so when God is speaking to the seven churches of Asia, He's not just speaking to like a building. He's speaking to a group of people. And so He's talking to individuals. Now, individuals make up the church. And I want you to notice what takes place here in Revelation chapter number 2. The Bible says in verse number 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first what? Works. Notice that is plural. So often we talk about how they, uh, th- th- that uh, the only reprimand to them was that they had left their first love. But he talks about how they needed to get back to their first works. So, excuse me, the uh, church of Ephesus here in the book of Revelation is, if you want to say it this way, reprimanded, even though God says, I see your works, I see your labor, and I see your patience but they get reprimanded. Now, what is the candlestick that is talked about there? He says, I will remove your candlestick if you don't repent and remember the first works and go back to the first works. So, he says, I will remove your candlestick. What is the candlestick? Well, it's described to us when Jesus appears and He appears in the midst of seven golden candlesticks and then at the beginning or at the end of Revelation chapter number 1, it's described to us that those seven golden candlesticks are seven churches. And these were seven literal churches. Okay, and I went through that. I think it might have actually been the first study I ever did on a Wednesday night with our church was a study through the seven churches. So we know there were seven churches in Asia. Those were seven literal churches. Now I believe that the scriptures that are uh, that, that that are uh, and were inspired uh, for those churches to read uh, are also applicable to all of our churches today. And so we see when it comes to the church of Ephesus that they are told that God notices their work their labor and their patience, but they are reprimanded. But I want you to go back to 1 Thessalonians, and let's look at that passage, if you would please again. And I want you to look at what God says about the church of Thessalonica. Now, both of these churches had, in some ways, similar hardships. The church of Thessalonica, though, was uh, much more difficult by uh, by my judgment of what's going on in Thessalonica at this time. Thessalonica, remember, that was the place where in the book of Acts, as we learn about Paul's ministry, we see that he was only in Thessalonica from what we can tell for about three weeks before he was run out. He, 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 he goes to Thessalonica, he preaches the gospel, many people get saved, a church is raised up. This all happens in three weeks, three Sabbath days is what we can see that he was there. And so... He teaches and preaches, people get saved, a church is raised up, and then the Jews become so angry at him preaching about Jesus that they run him out, and he is literally escaping for his life. And so he leaves and uh, tries at one other point to come back, and we see that uh, in, I think, uh, 2 Thessalonians. Actually, we dealt with that on Sunday night, come to think of it, that he was hindered by the devil. Anyway, so we, we see here in 1 Thessalonians that Paul had probably about three weeks to minister to these people before he was run out, which means their founding pastor, the guy who raised up that church and reached the lost that that came together and banded together and started a church, they don't have any pastoral leadership or biblical direction coming from Paul from that point forward. So the letters that they are getting from him and the things that are getting uh, passed to them through other individuals is how they are growing in the Lord. Now the church of Ephesus, best we can tell, and I went back and read through some of this 
uh, again today. Best we can tell, when we read about the church of Ephesus in the book of Acts, they were reached after Thessalonica. Is everybody okay? They were reached after Thessalonica. And best, best I could tell, it looks like Paul was there for probably at least two and a half, maybe three years. So the church of Ephesus has a lot of influence by Paul. The church of Thessalonica has very little. Now, I want you to notice what happens with Thessalonica. In verse number 2, chapter 1, God says, or Paul says by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Now, Brother Bish said this last night. I'm not saying it. I'm repeating Brother Bish's uh, question. He said, can your pastor give thanks always for you? And that was quite the question, but I didn't ask it. He did, all right? So if that was convicting, you can write him a nasty letter. Um, I do give thanks for all of you. Verse number three, remembering without ceasing, and I want you to notice your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. Now, same three words, works, labor, and patience. But there's something else that comes with it. Now, I want you to notice, if you would please, a couple of verses later. Verse number six, he says, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord having received the Word in much, what? With joy of the Holy Ghost. You know, we can, we can continue to be open to the, to the speaking of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in much affliction. And they were. They continued to be open to the Lord. But then I want you to notice in verse number 7, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. One church is reprimanded. The other church is uplifted. One church is told that their ministry may at some point close. The other church is told that they are so lively and vibrant and active in the work that it is sounding out abroad in Macedonia and in and Achaia, and that their church is an example to all in that region. Is everybody with me? Why is it that the church of Thessalonica is uplifted and that the church of Ephesus is reprimanded? They both have work. They both have labor. They both have patience, and God is taking note of both of those, or of all three of those things. But I want us to look at the difference in Thessalonica. Number one, remembering without ceasing your work. Does it stop there? Your work of what? When he asked this question, I fell under conviction. He said, when was the last time you did something for God that required faith? 
The truth is, if we're not careful, we can become like Ephesus where we're just going through the motions and doing the work. And in a lot of ways, church, it can be easy to fall into the ease of going to church and just living your weekly routine and not really stretching or pushing ourselves in areas of our faith. Ephesus was doing a work, Thessalonica was doing a work of faith. You know, churches, and I would say this is probably true of ours as well, become comfortable in a lot of ways. At one point when a church was young, it had to be planted by somebody. And the work of faith is what it took. There were no bank accounts. There were no bus routes. There were no buildings. There was nothing but a calling of God, a group of people, and a faith that God would do something. It is necessary for every church to not go the way of Ephesus where it's possible that your candlestick, your church be removed. You can be working and continuing to work and doing the things that you do, going to choir practice, serving in the bus ministry, uh, serving in the nursing home ministry, uh, 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 practicing piano, studying for Sunday school, going soul winning, and just be doing the work. We can get very comfortable. We have, and I thank the Lord for this, but it could be lost in a moment. We have a comfortable amount in the general fund in our bank accounts. We have buildings now. We have traditions that have been established over the years. And what ends up happening to nearly every church is that at some point, you just settle into a routine of going to church, doing the work, going to church, doing the work, giving in the offering, serving in this way, serving in that way. And churches stop growing in their faith because we stop pushing and pressing ourselves to do a work of faith. Something that requires faith for God to accomplish in you. I want to ask you, I'm not talking about corporately as a ministry. I want to ask you, when was the last time we allowed God to lay on our hearts something that was going to require faith and we stepped out and did it? I wonder if we're even looking for what God would have us to do in faith. The church of Thessalonica... You see, what is being done through their church is not just the ordinary. It is being sounded out abroad because they are not just doing works. They are a church that has decided we are not content with just being and just doing. We want to be used greatly of God. And if He gives us a new burden, then we will do it by faith. And if He gives us a new desire, then we will do it by faith. Listen, sometimes we don't have to exercise a lot of faith if it doesn't require a great financial prayer. You remember when the Camp Calvary was built? I've heard all the stories many times. It was a work of great faith. There was no property, but there was a desire and a burden. Is everybody okay? There was a vision. There was no money. We laugh about the recycling of oil for the buses and all the things that had to be done back then just to make ends meet. The church grew because the church was constantly pushed to do works of faith. 
Not just works. Works of faith. Young people, you will at some point in the future be challenged by God to do a work of faith. He may call you to the mission field. And it will take great faith to do it. He may call you to Bible college. I believe people are called to go to Bible college. He may call you to do that. And that takes a step of great faith. I still remember uh, when, when I was supposed to leave. You know what? I'm not going to tell that story. I don't think the Lord would have me to. But anyway, it takes a step of faith. As you grow in the Lord and you grow in, the, in your walk with the Lord, there comes a time when God is going to, to ask you to do things that don't make sense. You don't have the money for it or you don't have the ability to do it. And you just have to surrender and do it by faith. And by the way, it's not just things in the mission field. It's not just things... You know, uh, soul winning takes faith. Some people say, I can't go soul winning. Well, everybody is called to, which means everybody is capable of it. We all can. But what we have to do is we have to push through our flesh where we're telling ourselves, boy, I don't know, I'm just not comfortable with that. And do it by faith. And say, you know what, if I stumble through this, I will, I will witness to that person because I have faith that if I give the Gospel, the Bible says that the Word of God will never return void and that the power of God lies in His Word, not in me, so I'll do it. It takes faith to be a witness. If we keep waiting for comfortability to be a witness, we'll never do it. I heard a preacher who has been witnessing, in my opinion, maybe, maybe, if not one of the greatest soul winners in, in to, in, that is living today, personal soul winners, may be the greatest soul winner that is living today. And I heard him say a couple of years ago, and it shocked me. I just thought, well, he's just so good at it. I mean, anytime, anytime, I, any, anytime I hear about how things are going with him, anytime I see him witness to somebody, it, I mean, he just flows. It, it is just so easy for him. And then I heard him stand up and preach a couple years ago, and he said, he said, soul winning is like a root canal. He said, your flesh never wants to do it. He said, so many times, I know I need to go witness to somebody, and I have no desire to do it. It is a labor to do it. And I went, well, that's crazy. He sees all these people saved. He looks so, he sounds and, and looks so fluid when he leads people to the Lord. Look, y'all, we never outgrow that fleshly thing inside of us that says, this is not comfortable. I don't want to do that. Well, maybe if I get enough training, I'll be able to do it. Nope. You can, you can get all the education in the world. We can throw up the videos up here to show you how to go soul winning. We can do special soul winning seminars. We can do all of that. And you will still have a battle in your flesh that you will just have to at some point decide, you know what, I'm going to do it by faith because God told me to and that's what I'm going to do. Does that make sense? But I believe if Calvary Baptist Church is going to grow, I don't necessarily mean numerically, I just mean if we are going to go on from where we are and do more work for the Lord, we are going to have to get to the point where we are willing again to be stretched and do a work of faith. Amen. Something that is going to be, I don't know about this. <laughs> is everybody okay? That's when God works. That's when what is done and accomplished is greater than just the work that we can do because it's a work of faith. Secondly, what is spoken of is a work of faith. And next, what is the next phrase? Labor of love. Ephesus was laboring. Thessalonica was laboring in love. 
this church never lost the wonder what it means to be saved. They never let it get old that they were on their way to hell. And one day in a town where not even their preacher was able to stay, for a brief moment the Holy Spirit of God was able to work and they heard. They never lost the wonder of their salvation. Don't have my hanky. They never lost the wonder of it all. It remained amazing. Are you listening? You see, when you're just laboring, you're, you're putting in a lot of effort. But when you find something that you love doing, it is no longer real labor. My dad, he goes, he's one of the most intelligent people I know. He goes from difficult hobby to difficult hobby. And he never really settles down in one. He just, he's, he, he'll get really good at something, then he'll move on. My, my, my dad, one of the first hobbies I remember him taking up was archery. He got so good at shooting with a compound bow that he was tearing up arrows all the time, and it wasn't a challenge to him anymore. He didn't enjoy it. He could shoot at just about any distance and plink his arrows like crazy. And so he said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to challenge myself. I'm going to get into instinctive shooting. Now, when you shoot with a compound bow, you have on that compound bow, you have sights and you have... You have stabilizers hanging off of them, and you've got all the everything is fine tuned and perfectly, uh, perfectly organized, and, and and everything is just right, so that every time you pull up, if you do everything exactly the same way, you can hit that target in a very small place. But he got so good at that, he said, "I'm going to take on something else." So he started uh, learning how to make bows by hand, and and he would he would spend 80 to 100 hours of of work on a bow. It would take him months to do it, but he'd spend 80 to 100 hours on one bow, cutting down the tree, hunting for the tree, uh, and, and the right one, and then cutting it down in the right place, and taking it back, and uh, keeping it at just the right moisture, and at just the right dryness to be able to uh, have it malleable, and make it into the shape and form that he needed to, and, 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 and hours upon hours upon hours of using the old whittling tools, and, and, and getting that thing down to the shape that he could. I mean, he would spend months in his spare time working on a bow. I go down there and watch him sometimes and think, I don't know how he does it. That doesn't look fun to me at all. But to him it wasn't labor. It was something he loved. Something really becomes tedious and difficult when we don't love it anymore. For the church of Thessalonica, you know why things continued to sound out abroad from them to the entire region? <laughs> because Jesus was still precious. Salvation was still wonderful. 
And their love for the Savior that had saved them was still so real that their labor was always a labor of love. Thirdly, the next thing that is said about them is that they had patience. But not just patience. Patience of what? Do you see that? Patience of hope. What does that mean? A great tumult was raised while Paul was there. The same thing happened in Ephesus. It took a little while, but there was a great stir among the people. and They began to chant wildly because they were angry at the fact that uh, some were getting saved that made the idols for the goddess Diana. And some of the men that uh, sold some of those idols and made a living off of it began to get angry that people weren't buying as many and that, that people weren't making them because they were getting saved. And there were a few businessmen that stirred up the people, which I think is still happening in America and all across the world. There were a few businessmen that stirred up the people because they saw their profits dwindling. It's in the Bible. Go read it. They stirred up the people against the religious group. And they began to chant, Great is the goddess of Diana. Great is the goddess of Diana. And they got all the people in that region stirred up because that region was steeped in the worship of the goddess Diana. There was a great stir among the people. So much so that they began to pull Christians and believers out of the crowd and, and begin to persecute them and put them under great trial. And there was, by the hand of God, a man that, that was brought in that we, from best we can tell, may not have even been saved, that spared the Christians of Ephesus at that time. They, both of these towns experienced great turmoil and great challenges. At one point, Paul spoke of fighting with beasts at Ephesus in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Is everybody okay? So both towns weren't exactly a cakewalk when it came to your Christianity. But you know, can we be honest with ourselves? There were some things that we used to have hope in as Christians, and hardship beat it out of you. Let's be honest. Some hardships can leave us vacating our hope and living mechanically as we simply just try to do what's right. Sure they can. You know it's right to do, so you continue to try to do it. You're just going through the motions. You're continuing to try to work and do what's right. And, and by the way, I want to say this. This, is, this, this, just, this just came to mind. I made some comments on Sunday night uh, about you know, needing certain things to puff you up. Look, there, there is nothing wrong with needing a good song every now and then. And I hope I made it clear uh, the other night. I am not against good music. I believe God uses music to uplift our spirits. And we need that. And, and so, I understand there are times that we all go through hard times that you're just hanging on by a thread and you're just using anything and everything that you can to try to go on the next step. I am not trying to be critical of that. I do believe that we have got to make sure that we be strong in the Lord and not be easily tossed to and fro from our faith. We do need some strength in Christianity that I think has died off in many ways. But... Let's be honest. There are things that we go through that at times can really test your faith and cause you to start living without hope. The Bible says that they had what? Patience of what? 
patience of hope. What does that mean? It means they were patient to continue to live and serve with hope. They refused to just live and work and serve and read their Bibles and pray without hope. And no matter how many hardships they had, which was, best I can tell, much greater than the hardships of Ephesus, they never one time got to the point where they did not live the Christian life without hope. And I am here to tell you that the promises of this Bible are still true and the things that you once hoped in are still true and still available to God's people. And no matter how many times you have hoped in the Lord and felt like you were disappointed, not because God didn't come through, but maybe it just wasn't His will. I want to tell you that God repeats in His Word over and over and over again that He desires for His people to live in hope. In Romans chapter number 15, he says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. The God of hope desires that you may abound in hope through the Holy Ghost. In 1 Peter chapter number 3, the Bible says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Psalm chapter number 130, God said of Israel in some of their hardest of times, let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy and with Him is plenteous redemption. Christian, be patient in hope. We need to restore in many of our lives the hope that we once had or maybe in some cases never really knew. Live with it. Serve with it. Think upon it. You can trust the Lord and in Him there is always hope. As God put it to Israel in that psalm, for with the Lord there is mercy. If there is nothing else you have to hope for, you can always have hope in the mercy of God. You have a merciful God. You have a loving God. You have a gracious God. And because of that, no matter how much you sin or how hard things get, there is always hope in His mercy. And with Him is, and, and with him is plenteous redemption. In other words... It doesn't matter how many times you have failed, God is always ready to redeem. Live in hope. I think sometimes, and I spoke on this a few months back, I don't remember in, in what message, but sometimes we have, we have left our faith behind because we put our faith in the wrong things. We, we put our faith in our feelings. Well, if I, just, if I just hope for this enough when I pray for it, I'll have it. And that's not how that works. And some people, because they weren't praying in the will of God, and I've been there, because we weren't praying in the will of God, we thought if we just had enough faith, it would happen. And if it's not the will of God, it's not going to happen. Now, God is so gracious that there are times we have examples in the Scriptures of, of man changing God's heart. You can do that. I believe it. Which means, even if the answer was no, there's still hope. God eventually spoke to Paul and said, look, my grace is sufficient for thee. And y'all, there's hope in grace. They were patient in hope. Do you see that? You know, 
why the church of Thessalonica was still alive after all these years. Brother Bish said last night, you know, I didn't take notes on this, so I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly what he said. But I think he said, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, I told, I told Andrew and Haddon, I might preach that tomorrow night. I feel like the Lord may be leading me to do that. And, and Andrew spoke up and said, we'll amen it again. So I appreciated that. And he has, by the way, been saying amen. So I appreciate that. Uh, I, you guys may remember, I don't remember, but I think he said, I didn't look this up, I forgot to, uh, that the letter written to the church of Thessalonica might have been 10 or 15 years after he was originally there. Do you remember? I, you know, go look it up for yourselves, but it was a while. <laughs> it was a while. So it had continued for all that time. Are you with me? Three things. Do you see it? One church and one group of people remained vibrant and alive. The other was on the verge of losing their church. Did you catch it? They all had work, labor, and patience. But the church of Thessalonica had work of faith. Yes? Labor of love and patience of hope. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please help your people this evening as you did me. There is so much that you convicted me over and helped me with, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would be able to work in the same way for your people. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I know who's here. 